And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman. Joined as always by my colleague Stuart Mandel. We are taping Sunday morning. Uh, I'm back in Los Angeles. It was a wild, high-scoring game, as expected in the Rose Bowl. USC still in the playoff picture. Now has a really good, uh, good opportunity. Stu, um, fireworks. Caleb Williams put on an amazing display. DTR put on an amazing display, especially while being banged up. It kind of went the way we thought it would go, right? It was. I mean, for me, it was. At USC winning by three, the score was almost identical to that. Um, I had UCLA winning by three, but an even higher score than it ended up being. I mean, yes, it was it, absolutely the shootout everybody anticipated, even though it ended on a on a great uh, on a huge defensive play. Um, but it's one thing to talk about; it, it's another thing to see it. And I just thought it's been so long since a UCA a USC UCLA game meant that much, and I mean, I think the image that will endure is right is at the end. You know, you see Caleb Williams celebrating, running down the field. It, basically, this is everything that people envisioned would happen when Lincoln Riley and he and him got there. But boy, do I feel bad for DTR. I mean, that guy laid everything on the line for five years. I think I don't have uh, any official stat. I, I think he's probably started more games than any quarterback in history. Um. And it ended on an interception and you saw, you know, some great, great camera work capturing the the contrast between Caleb and his celebration and DTR was in tears walking off the field. So um, obviously, you know, they're now going to finish at best nine and three, which is better than they have been, but not exactly a grand send off. But USC, I agree with you, Bruce, um, with Tennessee losing, and we'll get to that in a minute, um, I think. USC almost controls its destiny. The thing that would screw them up is if LSU, LSU won. Yeah, yeah. But otherwise, LSU. you think the pecking order would be Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan winner, TCU, and then USC. Although if the Ohio State, Michigan game is very close, I assume there'll be a push for the loser of that game. But USC, as we've talked about, if they can follow this up and beat Notre Dame, who I think will probably be ranked around 15th, and then they're going to play either Oregon. Actually, believe it or not, there's still three other teams they might face. But whoever they face will be a top 15 team. Oregon State is now a top 25 win. That's a good resume. That's getting them in. Yeah, I think the thing that really jumps out at me, USC's defense is still really, really suspect. But one thing they're able to do, and it's really, to me, the difference when when Alex Green started working with Lincoln Riley at o- OU, they had a bad defense. I think it was it was bad. I don't think it was quite as bad as what US, USC was last year even. 
But one thing he was struggled to do was he talked about turnovers. They didn't get a lot of them when he when he first got there. This team is able to make and make some plays that is enough to get some stops and give them the ball back that with the offense as explosive as it is, with the receivers as good as they are, with Caleb in control the way he is, and and such a good guy, a good um, playmaker at extending plays. But I think it's that, you know, the four turnovers yesterday, that was the difference. I mean, I think if you had told Chip Kelly Monday when or last week when they started really digging into USC, hey, you're going to have the ball back down three with two minutes left or a minute 30 left and you have to drive the field to either tie or win, would you take it? I think he would absolutely say yes. And ultimately, you know, it's ironic because Corey Foreman is probably the most hyped defensive recruit USC has in the program. He was a five-star, was considered by some people one of the top two players in the country, has done almost nothing since he's been there um, in the two years he's been there. And, but he made a key play when he dropped into coverage and showed the athleticism to pick off a pass, and that ended up being the game-winning play. And, you know, it's – look, credit to to USC. And, again, I, I thought what – again, DTR had turnovers. But DTR, I thought, given how banged up he was, and, you know, Chip has always said that he thinks this is, like, the toughest guy he's probably ever coached. And you see it time and time again. If you If you didn't see it, before you definitely saw it last night in the Rose Bowl. USC, to your point, leads the country in interceptions with 18 and leads the country in turnover margin, which uh, speaks uh, very well, obviously, of Caleb Williams, that he uh, has had as few interceptions as he had. So um, in terms of that Pac-12 title game, it's straightforward if Oregon wins. Oregon wins, they're in. Um, But at Oregon State, Bo Nix was very hobbled last night. They were fortunate to beat Utah. Like, that's no gimme. And so if they lose, there's some pretty convoluted scenarios where either um, Utah or Washington could still get into that game. Um, it was a it was a good night. I mean, the Pac-12, you had this, this great doubleheader, and they both went right down to the wire. I thought Oregon-Utah was a little ugly. A um, lot of turnovers in that game, but um, it, it delivered. Now... Can I ask you before we jump off that game, since we're gonna since we're gonna move off USC for a minute, um, Caleb Williams is he your Heisman leader at this point? He is. Um, now the the thing is, as we've been doing these Heisman straw polls, CJ Stroud I think has been leading almost the entire way. I don't know that he's ever made it onto my ballot. I I, I just have been more uh, enamored with several other guys, one of whom was Caleb Williams. One of whom is Max Duggan, who we're going to get to in a minute. Um, but Caleb Williams, I don't believe, has ever been number one on my ballot. It was Hennon Hooker for much of the season. Mm-hmm. I think we can officially declare him out. What about you? Uh, he does move to my top spot. You know, I think when Antonio Morales and I did the story going into the week about what coaches see who played both teams, one of the coaches was like, without Caleb Williams, USC is like a six and four kind of team. Right. And I would agree with that. Now you could say without Hendon Hooker, Tennessee might be a five and five team. And yeah, you know, I don't know what Alabama is without Bryce Young, even, you know. Um, so it's hard to play that role that too much with quarterbacks. But yeah, to me, I, I think he is um at this point. Again, I thought I think Hendon Hooker 
and we hope he's you know okay from the injury last night. But to me, he belongs in New York no matter what because I think he's had a fantastic season and made that program relevant again for the first time in a long, long time. You know, and look, CJ Stroud, I think will have the chance. He's going to have there may be twenty million people's people watching yeah. our game this weekend. And I think he could probably wrap Columbus. it up if he beats Michigan and, and has a good game. Um, I don't see. Obviously. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, as you said, 20, like, I don't know. We don't know what the TV ratings for USC, UCLA were, but they're not going to be anywhere close to what Ohio State, Michigan, everybody's going to be watching that game. He's already considered the like pretty overwhelming Vegas favorite. So you got to think if he beats Michigan and unless you think he might lose to Iowa. Um, I don't. Yeah. So I think Caleb Williams is number one for me right now. He might still be after next weekend. I just think the Heisman electorate at large is not going to. I think they already have CJ Stroud number one, and, and that's before he plays his you know signature game. Caleb Williams, by the way, 33 touchdowns, three interceptions. Pretty good. Um, okay, about that Tennessee, about Hendon Hooker. Do you have any explanation? By the way, Hendon Hooker, 27 touchdowns, two interceptions. I think he's been terrific. I think being realistic. And against better defenses. Against much better defenses. I think realistically last night um, was the end of his Heisman hopes, but he's had, he's been fantastic. Uh, lots of, lots of good uh, guys have, I mean, it's one going to be one of those years where it's hard to narrow it down to three. Now, if Spencer Rattler played the entire season, the way he did last night, he might win the Heisman trophy. But I think we had just talked about him last week about how his, he's had such a rough season. It was like eight touchdowns, nine interceptions. And then he goes out and, absolutely demolishes Tennessee. He had six touchdown passes. Remember, eight going into that game. Um, I saw that that stat that uh, South Carolina in seven SEC games had scored eight, 18 touchdowns, 18 touchdowns in seven games. They scored nine last night. Yes, we knew Tennessee's defense wasn't good, but of all the teams to exploit it, I did not think it would be this one. Uh, I wouldn't think. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were shaky all along. I mean, they scored six points against Florida the week before. Yeah. And, and Florida, Florida who then turned around and lost to Vanderbilt. Yeah. Lost to Vanderbilt. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Good, good look, good for Spencer Rattler. I think he has been a guy who is, it's, it's hard for to see college kids necessarily get the brunt of it sometimes. And he certainly did last year. And I think he has, he has to some degree this year. And so, man, Tennessee fall. Just you remember we got asked this question a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was a month ago. Which you think is more likely to happen? Tennessee finishing the regular season with zero losses or two? Yes. Well, guess what? Yeah, I think I took two. Did you? No, I didn't take two because I didn't think that this would happen. Look, I was I was totally sucked into Tennessee. Uh, the 2019 LSU comparisons and all that. Just. Couldn't quite, I mean, I mean, you can't take away what they did at LSU. Dramatic win against Alabama. They just couldn't quite hold it up over the second half of the season. Um, but, you know, what Shane Beamer has come in there and done at South Carolina, they're seven and four, right? They had much better seasons than that under Steve Spurrier. And yet mm -hmm. I feel like the excitement level in Columbia is back to where, right back to where it was when they had it going under Steve Spurrier. He just has turned out to be, it wasn't like that was considered a home run hire, but he's turned out to be just kind of the perfect fit there. Um, big win for those guys. 
Now, the Tennessee loss is what kind of shakes up the playoff picture. It's why we're talking about USC as being uh, likely to get in at 12 and one. Now, the new wrinkle is, I mean, I'm pretty sure that I would say up until Alabama lost its second game, everybody thought it was going to be Georgia and Alabama in the playoff. Then it became it's going to be Georgia and Tennessee. And now, unless LSU can pull a huge upset in the SEC championship, it's probably not going to be two SEC teams, but it could very well be two Big Ten teams. This Ohio State-Michigan game Saturday, just absolutely enormous. 11-0 and against 11-0. and And, but I don't, you know, you're going to hear it right after the game. If it's a, if the team that loses, loses close after being in the top two or three all season, you're going to hear a strong push that they should still be in the playoff. You know, I, I don't know where I saw this, this, uh, this Sunday morning, but somebody had said, well, Alabama's still in the mix now. No, they're not. I was, it, it didn't sit right with me either when I heard that, but I was like, man, how would things have to break? for that to happen and everybody and their mother would have to lose a second. No, I don't think it's that. I I don't think it's that because, and I'm not saying they will get to this, but if you have a two loss pack 12 champ, they're not going to go. They would just not. Um, I don't, you know, we'll talk about TCU in a minute. My guess is the loser of the big 10 at 11 and one you know, would probably go, would, would still go ahead of Alabama. I don't think they would fall. Bruce, there's no scenario where Alabama is going to go. Zero, huh? Well, think about it. Is it going to be all four SEC teams? I mean, I guess, you know, are you really going to Georgia? And it would go ahead of them, clearly. I think LSU would go. I mean, LSU and Tennessee both beat them. So unless we're talking about an all SEC playoff, no, I don't think Alabama can make it. So. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The one that's interesting to me is Clemson because they can still go 12 and one and win the ACC. Unfortunately for them, UNC took it on the chin to Georgia Tech yesterday. It's going to diminish that one. And yet I am having a really hard time seeing a path for them. Um, I think TCU would have to lose. USC would have to lose. Obviously, LSU can't beat Georgia. But I just look at Clemson and I, first of all, I don't think they're that great a team, but also just their resume would consist of beating Florida State and UNC. And that loss to Notre Dame was just so bad. Like, I don't, like, would you think that they have a, was there any scenario where they would get in over Ohio State or Michigan? 
Who are we talking about here? I'm sorry. Clemson. Get in over the the loser. The loser of that game. I don't. I don't see it because of the. I, it wouldn't. It wouldn't shock me. Like Ohio State and Michigan, you, you're going to have to hope that Penn State wins out, so they're a ten win team, and that 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 win looks good, right? Mm-hmm. Especially Ohio State won there. Um, you know, if you're if you're Ohio State, I think you're really hoping multiple purposes that Notre Dame goes and beats USC because then that knocks Notre that knocks USC out, and at that point, Notre Dame might be a top twelve team. And you have that on your resume. They're, I think, in a little better. You know, I think they have more upside into their because they, even though Michigan was more dominant in how they played Penn State, um, that game was in Ann Arbor as opposed to, you know, what Ohio State had. It occurs to me I'm overlooking something fairly obvious. Um, South Carolina is going to move into the top 25 after yesterday. They play them next week, so they will finish with two top 25 teams. But to this point. They just wait a minute. They uh, won't finish with two top 25 teams because South Carolina, if you're talking about Clemson, South Carolina would be a five loss team. Oh yeah. They, well, they'd be top 25 going into it. And then you think they'd fall right back out. Yeah. Then they would plummet out of it because they're not having a five. They're not having a seven. This is what I'm saying. I don't, I just don't think, you know, at the end of the day, it's the four best teams, as we've talked about, they can rationalize just about anything. And I think they're going to look at Clemson as a team that barely survived Syracuse, barely survived Wake Forest, got killed at Notre Dame. And I just, nobody's going to look at that and be like, yeah, those guys are better than Ohio State or Michigan. Now, maybe I my opinion changes if it's like Ohio State beats Michigan by four touchdowns. But if we think it's a close game, yeah, yeah you know what I mean? Like I just, USC would go in clearly better resume. I don't, I think Clemson's only hope is they basically need TCU to lose. They need USC to lose, and then obviously can't afford LSU to beat Georgia. And that's crazy to say about a program that won two national championships and, you know, went to the playoff four years in a row. You would think that program would get the benefit of the doubt. I just don't feel that way about Clemson this year. And I'm not, I mean, I think what the sign, all you need to know about how the committee views Clemson is they had them behind two, two lost teams last week, neither of which lost. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, okay, you were you made your you just kind of slipped it in last week that you made you were making your return to sideline reporting, and boy did you get a good one at TCU. Uh, while it kind of got overshadowed by the end of the night and all the other dramatic finishes, um, what a what a, an amazing game! And TCU is eleven and zero. I mean, never in a million years would anybody have thought TCU would be eleven and zero. They just keep winning. Tell me, just just tell me, you know, bird's eye field level view of that sequence at the end with the rushing the field goal team on. Did you think yeah. they had screwed up? Because I sure did. I did. Um, so from my perspective, I I went from the TCU sideline because they had injury issues on their offense. You got to set this up a little bit. So they're going to the game. We find out, um, I don't know, an hour before the game that Darius Davis, who's maybe the most dangerous return guy in the country, but also a really good receiver, and they do a lot with him. He's the fastest player on the field. He's not going to play. And then on a on a pick that Duggan throws deep downfield in the third quarter, Quentin Johnston, who's you know one of the two best receivers in the country, he tweaks his ankle, and that's pretty much it for him for the rest of the game. Kendra Miller also, you know, he's a terrific running back. He gets knocked out of the game. So now you're down your three best playmakers on offense, essentially. 
and you know it's a it's a crazy environment Baylor fans are feeling it. it's like for them going into this you know the players had told us look they they upset us last year and that basically cost us a playoff spot you know how bad we want to do it to them now we saw them their their fans storm the field we want to do and so all this is building up you can feel it and so with like i don't know you know, a minute I go over to the Baylor sideline, leave the TCU, TCU sideline just to basically repair. I'm going to end up interviewing Dave around on a crowd storming and Blake Shapin probably too. So I'm just mentally thinking about that. And then they move the ball downfield enough where I'm like, man, they're going to have a long field goal, but the timeout situation isn't great. And then Sonny runs a, you know, play just to basically center the ball. And you're thinking, I've seen this a lot feeling a lot in less miles kinds of games where they don't manage the clock, right. It becomes really frantic. And that was the word that kept coming into my head and they rush out there and there's some kind of operational mistake. Either there's a false start or a drop snap or whatever, something just, you know, it's one thing to do it at practice. It's another thing to do it on the road at a hostile environment after three and a half hours of, you know, and it's also in the cold, by the way. Um, and sure enough, when he kicks it, I'm sitting there seeing a bunch of fans get excited. I'm like, oh, he must have missed it because I don't have an angle on it. And then I realized that the fans cheering are, are in purple. I was like, whoa, this is a clutch kick by, um, you know, in that situation by Griffin Kell. So I ran out to the field and got Sonny pretty quick. And as he explained to me, we practice this. This is exactly what we practice for. And credit to those guys, because this is a super resilient team that he has there. And, you know, I mean, people can talk about that they're going to get knocked off sooner or later. They're running out of chances to get knocked off. Stu, the thing with them is they they get punched in the mouth and they keep, they keep battling. You know, this is a really tough mentally team. Sonny told us something interesting on Friday, which I think is, uh, you know, a really cool detail, which was... When they got there late last year, his staff or his new staff, you know, they kind of weren't sure about the buy-in of guys and it wasn't great. Maybe some guys were late. Maybe some guys didn't show up. And then after they came back from the break, he said it was just a different thing. And he goes, it was almost like they all got together. and were like, all right, we're all in on this guy and this and going forward. And his perspective was, you know what? These guys signed up to play for Gary Patterson. And you know what you're getting with Gary Patterson. You're not going to get baby. You're not, you, that's not this program. So you probably have some pretty tough kids, tough-minded kids. And that's sure, you know, like, and, and Max Duggan, that's exactly who he is. I mean, and so it was pretty awesome. I felt for the Baylor kids, but it was, you know, it was just such an awesome environment. And I think when I went to bed last night, it was probably 12 hours after the post game, and I was still wired. Hmm. Yeah. First of all, um, I, I just don't think people appreciate Max Duggan enough. And when, to your point, like when they took over with a chance to tie or win, I had 100% confidence he was going to at least get them into field goal range, which he did. He he can get you either way. I mean, there were many plays in that game where he just kind of dropped back. They gave him enough protection. He just lofts one downfield. He knows where his receiver is going to be. On that last drive, that, you know, he's like you said, he's lost playmakers. That didn't really become an option, but then he kills you with his legs. Um, he takes off running and nobody's within 12 yards of him. So that's my first point. My second thing is, yeah, people keep wanting to dismiss TCU. 
I, uh, you know, they, they, um, I think the skepticism is twofold. One, they're not a blue blood. Two, they don't have like that signature win over a top 10 team, like all those SEC teams do. But as I pointed out, they have played, they have beaten now eight FBS teams, eight power five teams with a winning record. No, sorry, eight FBS teams. SMU is one of them. Nobody else has more than six. You And it is really hard to do this week after week. And they went to um, Texas. They were a seven-point underdog at Texas. They pull it off. They go to Baylor, the defending champ, a six-and-four uh, yeah, six team. Lose a bunch of dudes during the game. Pull it off. That is very hard to do. 11-0 and is 11-0. and And... Uh, all the credit in the world to them. By the way, Sonny Dykes, in your interview, he just he doesn't get phased by anything. <laughs> like he just, that was about as dramatic a finish as possible. It seemed like you know it was a fire drill, and he just seems so nonplussed explaining it to you. Yeah, we had a we had a funny moment with Sonny the day before. Like he is, I say this, he's one of the best storytellers who's in coaching, and um, so he goes back twenty plus years with Dave Aranda. Dave was a, they were both broke into coaching there on Leach's first staff. And we got to, they used to play, they would have poker games. Now, Dave was not, I don't think, involved in this, but Dana was, Lincoln was, certainly Sonny. And then, so Sonny, I think, felt pretty good about himself when he came out to LA to uh, a poker room and basically just got fleeced to the point where some <laughs> woman looked at him and was like, you need to leave here. And just kind of <laughs> in over your head. But I think he has a, it, you know, it's weird. I've kind of wondered about this and, and I kind of was trying to put my finger on it. I think what it is is, so his dad was obviously a really successful football coach, Spike Dykes, and he grew up in the business. And I just think he has a really good feel for people. Um, yeah. And I think he has a good feel for his team, right? Because like last year, you know, I wondered about this at some point during the game, you know, whereas like Chandler Morris, just he went Johnny Manziel on Baylor, you know, like 500 yards of offense, right? And I'm not saying that there was ever any thought that they were going to yank uh, Max Duggan, but Chandler Morris was initially the guy, right? And then Max has played extremely well. And I think you had mentioned that all that we we talked quarterback TD interception ratios. I think Max is like 24 to four or something like that. I mean, obviously threw one yesterday, but. Um, the stuff that the when you talk to some of the Baylor coaches, the thing they remembered about playing him a couple of years ago was like it was almost like a single wing offense with him because he is such a he wants to just run over people and run through people. And you saw some of that, like you said, on that drive. And I actually thought at one point I was like, Max Duggan is going to break a 35 yard touchdown run and that's going to be the game. Yeah. You know, like if that'll be it now. The part that made it super seemingly super crazy was that it, it was the clock was running down. I'm like, ooh, this just does not seem optimal. You know, I was surprised of. he he settled for a field goal as soon as he did. I mean, because you have Max Duggan, do you want to like that? He was just ready to put it in in the kicker instead of making maybe taking a couple more shots downfield. Remember, there's no no Quentin there, um, and so that's you know that's your go to guy. I think he probably felt like listen. You know, like I know who my kicker is. I trust my guys and paid off again. Duggan is the number five rated passer in the country. Um, 26 touchdowns, three interceptions. 
2,858 yards, 66% completions. Caleb Williams is number nine. Um, yeah, uh, just, you know, they play Iowa State. I remember being at the, when we were, when I was at Fox, uh, the 2014, you know, remember that that last weekend when both TCU and Baylor were still in it. And, and a bunch of writers did the same thing as me, which was TCU played Iowa State in the early window. Went to that, then all got in our cars and drove to Waco. Uh, Baylor was playing K-State that night. And after all that, neither of them made it. But um, they are once again closing out with Iowa State, the, who is in last in the Big 12, 4-7 and seven team. It looks like in the championship game, they will probably get K-State, right? Yeah. If you... Um, I think that'll talk, be a tough game. I think K-State will on fire right now. Talking to coaches in the league, I, the one thing that came up was, who do you think is the best coach team in the league? K-State. People yeah, just think sure. that they do such a good job, especially on offense, with their adjustments and everything else. They're not going to be easy to play. K-State over its last four games beat Oklahoma State 48 to nothing, lost 34-27 to Texas, beat Baylor 31-3 to on the road, beat West Virginia 48-31 on the road. Ever since Will Howard took over for Adrian Martinez because Adrian Martinez got hurt, their offense has just gone to a whole other level. So... Um, all right, that's two weeks from now. Uh, so next week, Thanksgiving weekend, as you know, in college football is when all hell breaks loose. By the way, yeah. before we start this, so I was a little oblivious to this because I was my head was a, still at um, Baylor and on the field, and but I started noticing this on my timeline when I got to the air to DFW. You're coming to to Ann Arbor this weekend, I believe. Oh, the Zingerman's guy. Yeah, it was on my yeah. timeline. Stu needs to step up. Yeah. Well, first of all, I dressed it in the mailbag this week. I have been in contact with Russell, uh, the fan in Austin. It, you know, <laughs> I was so, uh, it seemed so unlikely to me at the beginning. I know it seems crazy now, but so unlikely before the season, Michigan would go 11 and 0 that, you know, my mom is coming out for, for Thanksgiving. So no, I'm not going to tell her. Bring yeah, I have her. to fly bring to her. Michigan, bring, pick up some corn. Beef. Listen, if you bring her, I can introduce her to the Wendy's guy. and. She can meet well. The, the, the look, I, I'm going to deliver on my word to the extent that I can. I uh, talked with Russell. He want he's he's um he proposed that I get him a gift card to Zingerman. So I'm going to do that. And we have a standing date the next time in Austin to go to Torchies. So I know it's not quite as dramatic as I made it it's out. It's not to be quite as dramatic. But I'm not. I'm not. You know. I'm not uh, ignoring it. I'm not saying you're oh, welching. That was just you're welching. Bring your mother. Bruce, Go have you seen airfares, Thanksgiving weekend airfares? Uh, you know, again, I did not expect I'd actually have to deliver on it. The of I would get, that would that's be like a the part of this. That would be like a what a two, three thousand dollar It would be worth it. It would be worth it, Stu, for your pride. Obviously, I would love to go see the game, if nothing else. Like I would that's the thing. You, you I would have to fly to Michigan, deliver the corned beef, and then watch the game with him. If I'm going to get on a plane, I want to go to the game. So I'm very jealous you'll be there. Let's talk about this. Um, Listen, I, I don't want to. I don't want to speak for Matt Liner, but I think I feel strongly in saying he would let you crash in his room. So the hotel is is not a, <laughs> not an expense. It's just the airfare. Mm -hmm. Matt Liner's room, huh? Yes. It, it's yours is off limits, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm a bad sleeper. I don't need <laughs> you on the couch getting up at 5 a.m. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Um, so in 2006, we were both there. It's probably the most hyped regular season game I ever covered. Well, LSU-Alabama in 2011 was that way too, but um, just the, the, the scene and the backdrop and then the game lived up to the hype. Um, now, if you remember, the big storyline was if Michigan loses a close game, will they stay in the top two? And I think they felt a third in the BCS, but then, but it was USC ahead of them and USC lost the last weekend, but then Florida got in. This year, obviously, we have a four-team playoff, but regardless, by the way, you know what I have no tolerance for? And one of our colleagues is very uh, adamant about this on Twitter. You have no tolerance for Ari Wasserman anymore. It's come to this. Huh? Ari, I know he's Mr. Hot Take, but like, come on. You're telling me in a 12-team playoff, these two teams meet undefeated versus undefeated. People aren't going to care? Of course they're going to care. It's Ohio State, Michigan, and people love college football. I, it's it's insane. Um, Don't fire even, him for this. Even if they could play again, you know, in the playoff. I'm not, who's going to fire him? I, I don't even have the authority to do that. But <laughs> I just, you know, you enough, no tolerance enough with the day. What he is is he's a Debbie Downer, right? Like, you, you can – you don't have to be – Raw, raw, twelve-team playoff. But this notion that oh, all the games are going to be meaningless. Um, you know what's meaningless? The Peach Bowl. <laughs> like the reason we're doing this is because the postseason outside of the playoff has become so anticlimactic. I digress. All right, both teams got a scare on Saturday. Uh, their biggest scares of the season. Michigan obviously needed a last-second field goal to survive Illinois. The more scary part, probably for them, was seeing Blake Corum go down. Uh, he only got one carry in the second half and Ohio state never like, I don't think they trailed Maryland after about the second quarter, but they just never could quite put it was them a three point game late in the game. It's a three point game. They kick a field goal and the Maryland has the ball with a chance. I'll be at a slight chance to win And Zach Harrison back-to-back sacks strip sack on the second one. That's the game. I don't know. How have your feelings changed at all? I mean, you picked Ohio state to win the national championship. So I know who you're picking to win this game, but, Feelings have changed at all on either side? Well, look, the running back room, I don't think two weeks ago when we were in Columbus, I was like, oh, yeah, Dallin Hayden might be the guy they're going to have to lean on. He might be now, right? And so he's delivered so far. He has, but this is a different kind of defense you're going to be playing now in a different environment. So uh, I can't wait for this game. I can't wait to get there. Um, I'm Look, a couple of weeks ago, I did the, the, the Pogey story, and the kicker is really 
J.J. McCarthy kind of with some bulletin board material in there about Ohio State. And I don't think these guys are, are going to shy away. Like, remember, they're the ones who have, seem to have the chip on their shoulder about it because everyone's told them for since last year that was a fluke. You're going to get your ass kicked in, in Columbus. So I think this is going to be such a fun environment. I'm hoping we get snow. I'm hoping we get bad weather. Um, I can't wait. I have said for quite some time, I think Michigan's the more complete team. They Their style of football travels better. C.J. Stroud continues to be kind of up and down. I know he leads the country in pass efficiency, but he still it still concerns me what might happen if they get pressure on him. That being said, the Blake Corm thing is a game changer. Um, they lean so heavily on him, and he, he could barely go in the second half. Now, he's got a week to heal up. And if he comes out and he's 100%, then I would really like Michigan's chances. But the you know between that and they haven't won at Ohio State since 2000, the place is going to be rocking. Um, if they pull this off, this one off, to me, that would be actually more impressive, even more impressive than last year's win in Ann Arbor. Uh, I would tend to agree with you, but last year's obviously was a break the seal kind of thing. Where he had yeah, oh, no, don't get me wrong. That was a much bigger deal, but you know, you were playing an Ohio state team that had lost a game and had um, like everybody thought Ohio state was going to win just because they hadn't beaten Michigan hadn't beaten them in so long. But I think this Ohio state team, I mean, being undefeated um, like the, the, the notion that their defense, although they struggled with Maryland lot yesterday, but for the most part has been a lot better, a lot better than last year's defense. I mean, this came up in my mailbag this week, but if Ohio State loses, you know, Ryan Day is going to um, fall out of favor and not not to the hot seat status, but like, you know, kind of John Cooper-esque. All that really matters there, you know, is 45 and five. And all that really matters is if you beat Michigan. So if he has the audacity to lose twice in a row, I don't think he'll be quite as popular a man in Columbus. I would agree. The other thing that happens on Thanksgiving weekend, usually you wake up Sunday morning, coaches are getting fired, coaches are getting hired. First of all, I don't know if there's anybody left to fire other than maybe Neil Brown at West Virginia. Is there anybody else that could just because they fired everybody during the season? Yeah, Ryan Silverfield feel that Memphis's seat's definitely gotten warm this year. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and that's a job a lot of coaches always are intrigued by. So I would say. You know, that might be one to keep an eye on. And then there, there's a few that are probably smaller group of five jobs that could, could happen, certainly. You know, we'll see what happens with Tulsa. That's another AAC job that that uh, I feel like he's been kind of dangling for a little while. Bill Montgomery, that is. It was on this that Sunday after Thanksgiving a year ago that you called me pretty early in the morning and said, I think Lincoln Riley is going to get the USC job, which just seemed completely out- outrageous at that moment. And then the next day, Brian Kelly got the LSU job. I don't know that we're going to have quite those dramatics this year, but I do think you'll see some of these schools that fired their coach early hire somebody pretty quickly after that last game. Let's talk about two of them. Wisconsin, as soon as they got bowl eligible yesterday, suddenly posted their job for a head coaching opening. Um, the, the sentiment out there is that means Jim Leonard has, has earned the job. I would think that's the case. Um, the Wisconsin State Journal is, re- is reporting as this. I mean, by the time this goes up, this may be uh, official. Um, 
He's the guy who was. I don't know. That job posting said you you have till November 26th to apply. Okay. They got to go through the HR motions, I believe. Andy Staples with visions of Wando's for every meal will will uh, we'll, we'll probably send in a resume and write about it. But I think this whole thing was set up for him to get the job. And, you know, look, I think they just do not want to lose him. I don't know if he could show, you know, if he went 7-0 against a bunch of unranked teams, I think that would still probably have been a resounding yes. But I think it's good experience for him going forward. I mean, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't get the job. I think the ones that are get interesting is where is Nebraska? You know, from what I was told, they really wanted Matt Rule. It doesn't sound like Matt Rule is going to go back into coaching so quickly. So, you know, look, if you're also Matt Rule and you're sitting back, you did a, an amazing job at Baylor. You look and say, you know what? I can do TV for a year, maybe two years. See where they are at Texas or Texas A&M. Because Texas A&M, you know, I don't want to go down that road every week, but not going good. Texas. <laughs> well, I guess that would be the the firing that would, you know, I say, is there anybody left to fire? Well, there is that guy. Yeah, that's so much money. I don't think so. But I don't know. Um, so Matt Rule. Um... If you're Matt Rule, would you rather? Because I still think Nebraska's a good job. It's not what it was in 1997, but you're going to have massive fan support, Big Ten TV money. Um, I know that the divisions might be going away, but right now that side of the conference is not exactly wowing anybody. Would you rather take that job or wait a year and see? Wait, yeah. wait. he's still getting paid a fortune. Wait. I agree. Um, I agree. If you so then, are, so then what happens? Okay, sir. So if you're Trev Alberts, I'll ask you yeah. this. And this, you know what? This is perfect, actually, because this is one of the guys I'm going to mention is a coach you love, like, and that is Jeff Munkin from Army. He has ties to Trev Alberts. Trev Alberts' son worked for the Army football program, I believe, um, for a little while. So there's Jeff Munkin. There's Bill O'Brien. And there's going to be Lance Leipold. Let's say those are your three strongest candidates. Who would you hire if you're Trev Alberts? I mean, I, I remain firmly on the Lance Leipold bandwagon. I know that they have struggled down the stretch here. They got killed by Texas yesterday. Let's not lose perspective at how awful that program was as for 15 years and, and right up until he took the job. And they're now going to a bowl game in year two. So if you're going to, you're Nebraska and you need somebody to basically dig them up from, from uh, the ground floor right now, he's done this at three different places. I don't disagree. I mean, I think of those three choices, he would be the route I would go to. So is it that easy then? I mean. Well, I'm not, I mean, that's you and me as the AD. That's not Trev Alberts as the AD. Um, well. Well, I guess the question, the other question is, would Lance Leipold definitely take it? And I'd be surprised if a former Nebraska assistant would turn down Nebraska to stay at Kansas, which, you know, Mark Mangino did a really nice job there, but nobody's been able to really win there. Um, I agree. I agree. I think that would be unfortunate for Kansas to lose the guy so quickly. Um, I also just think that, you know, the Big 12 got their TV deal done and it was better than people expected. 
it's still 40% of what the big 10 TV deal is. Obviously, you know, Kansas does not play in front of the kind of crowd and sell the kind of tickets that Nebraska does. So you just have the resources to hire huge support staff and pay the coaches really well and things that Kansas is still going to, you know, struggle to deal with going forward. So um, I don't know. Is there any part of you that thinks even if Matt Rule wanted the Nebraska job, they should take Lance Leipold? No, no. To me, Lance, uh, you know, Lance Leipold is an excellent coach, but I would uh, I would not turn down Matt Rule if he actually wanted the, that job. Any other coaching buzz that you will be monitoring going into that day? Going into Colorado that needs a Colorado needs a coach. Well, actually, I wanted to mention this one. Like, if you're Colorado, how do you feel about Bronco Mendenhall? If you're a Colorado fan, I, mean. I think that's about the best they could do. Like, okay. I don't know that any that I'm like penciling that I'm automatically hiring him at most places. I just think that I mean, the Colorado job is so so bad. If you yeah. could get an experienced coach with some ties ge- geographically, does he want it back in? That's what it sounds like, yeah. um, from what I understand. I mean, there's challenges to the CU job. You don't have much left on your roster at all. And it's hard to get transfers in there, from my understanding. You can get, depending on where they are and they're, you know, if they're too far into their degree, it's, it may not, may not be people you can get in. So that makes it hard. You don't have a really, there's produces a really small amount of, uh, you know, big time players. And you have an AD who has tried to get out of there recently. Yeah. And I, who knows who the AD is going to be a year from now. Well, look, Kansas was the worst job for 15 years and they found somebody that could dig them out of it. Yeah. After about like nine swings. Yeah, Colorado is on to like its fifth or sixth swing other than that one great year under Mike McIntyre. One guy I do want to mention, Georgia Tech should promote Brent Key tomorrow. That was going to be mean, my shout outs too, but okay. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, Four and three since he took over. And I thought that team was going to be really bad. They just completely shut down Drake May and UNC yesterday. They were down 17-0. They came back and won with a weird rotation of their third and fourth string quarterbacks. The guys at Georgia Tech alum, like, I know we talked at one point about Deion Sanders, but um, I think that Frank Key should get the job. He's made a great argument for it. Um, it's been a neat little story that's played out for everything then, you said. So, and then let's not overlook Auburn. If you, if I, what's your percentage that Lane Kiffin is the next Auburn coach? Yeah, Lane Kiffin's team at one point felt like they were down like fifty-two to yeah, six. They, to they laid a total egg against Arkansas. Um, seventy-five percent chance. Yeah, yeah. See, and I've had people say like, "Are you sure? I can't believe he would do that." I'm like, "No, he would absolutely do that because Auburn has." Way more money, and people have won championships there. No one's yeah. won at Ole Miss. No one's got close to winning at Ole Miss. But also, we know Lane Kiffin, you know, he shows respect constantly for Nick Saban. I think he would relish the chance to be Nick Saban's annual rival and possibly maybe even the one to be the guy who takes him down. I don't, I agree. All right. Well, should I give you a second to think of a different shout out? No. <laughs> you got another one handy um mine is to boise state um they clinched a spot in the mountain west championship actually it's a it's a it's a twofold one shout out to them they they are going to host the championship game they got off to a pretty rough start and people are wondering oh man it's the end of the boise state 
you know, successful program that we've always known. And now they're eight and three and they're, and they're going to the the championship game where they're going to face a Fresno state team that started one and four. Jake Hayner got hurt. Jake Hayner came back. They've won six in a row. I think that's a really good, I mean, even though it's like, no, neither of those teams is going to New Year's six. um, That's a really intriguing championship game. It is. All right. We will speak to you at the middle of the week. As always, send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com and we will see you next time. Music.